This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Last week we started a new series called Introducing the Bible because every week at Life Church we speak from the Bible, so we thought we'd take a few weeks to speak about the Bible. Sound good? And last week we did that, and this morning we're going to talk about Scripture's voice. Scripture's voice. You know, every one of us has a voice. Maybe you don't like your voice. Maybe you do. But every one of us has a voice. Sometimes our voice makes us hard to understand. My wife is from the United States, and every time Kelly and I go out for dinner... We sit down and we like to first of all, you know, get some mineral water on the table while we have a look at the menu and figure out what we'd like to, to eat. And Kelly will always, nine times out of ten, say to the, the waiter, hi, please can I have some water? And the waiter will say, excuse me, and she'll say, water. And they'll say, excuse me, and she'll say, water. And on the third time, he'll say, oh, water. Now, to be fair to Yorkshiremen, which I rarely am, they pronounce it as it's spelt, water. It's reet good water. They pronounce it as it's spelt. We are kind of inconsistent in Lancashire that we say bath, but we say water. That's odd, isn't it? But in America, they say water. But every time I visit the States, the same thing happens to me. I ask for water, and they say, excuse me, water, excuse me, water. Oh, water. W-A-R-D-O-U-R. Water. That's how they pronounce it in the States. Water. And sometimes our accent, you know, we can go somewhere and people hear our accent, don't they? And we, they say, you're, you're from Lancashire or Yorkshire or somewhere up north. They they recognize your accent, but you know, our voice isn't just our accent. You know, a voice is what's said, but also how it's said, who's saying it, and in what context. What's said, how it's said, who's saying it, and in what context. All of those things constitute somebody's voice. You see, two people can say the same thing, but it carries a completely different weight based on who's saying it. You can say the same thing twice, but in a different context, it can mean something completely different. Well, what is Scripture's voice? Last week, we talked about Scripture's story and the fact that we can understand the whole of the Bible as it's been collected together from Genesis to Revelation as one big six-act story. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, new creation. These six acts, like six acts of a play, that form one great story. And if you missed that, it's available on our podcast. But just as there are many stories in the Bible that can be understood as one grand story, so the different voices in the Bible have common qualities and speak to us as Christians as the voice of Scripture. We're going to talk about some of those common qualities this morning. We're going to think about what Scripture's voice is. The second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, it says this, For you have known from infancy the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the servant of God, God, all God's people, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That tells us something about scripture's voice. And scripture's voice to us, as followers of Jesus, is an authoritative voice, a voice of authority. There's some really interesting statistics here on the screen from a survey that was done last year in the United States saying that, are you interested in receiving input or wisdom from the Bible and on different issues in life? Parenting, 22%, only one in five people. Romance and sexuality, 17%. Influence of technology, 12%. Dealing with divorce, 8%. Now, you might think that it's not that surprising that these statistics are kind of low. They represent a minority in the general population. But this isn't the general population. This is amongst people who read the Bible at least once a week. They read the Bible at least once a week, but don't feel it really has anything to say to them that is relevant to their everyday life. Does Scripture speak with a voice of authority still today? When we think about voices of authority in the world, you may, might think of a policeman. You might think of a, a manager. So, so somebody who would, who would be a voice of authority. But authority can mean other things than that. It's not just somebody keeping the rules or, or telling you what to do. Authority could be a voice that you trust, a voice that is credible. Maybe you, you, you're sick and you told your family and you told some cr- close friends and they've all got a view on what you should do and what, what you, you, you need to uh, try. But then when you go to the doctor, you listen to the doctor. You trust the doctor in a different way because they speak with a voice of authority. And if we're thinking, as we said last week, that the Bible is actually should be understood fundamentally as a story, that's not the kind of thing we usually think about when it comes to authority. I mean, we can understand the general standing before the troops, barking out the orders. But if he was to join them in the morning briefing and say, once upon a time, we might find that an odd situation. It's a bit incongruous with what we understand authority to be. How can a narrative relate to abstract questions? We all have questions about life, about how to deal with things, about how to go forward with things. But how can this story actually help us with that? But the truth is that God has given us the best form and the best qualities that we need in the Scripture. You see, if we think about it, the general might well tell a story. Because if you're on a peacekeeping mission, you don't just need to know what to do. You already know how to use your equipment. You already know how to carry out the tasks that you're given to do. But what you might need to understand is the context. 
What's going on in the broader conflict? What are the cultural sensitivities here? What are the things we need to be aware of as we interact with people? Actually, a story is very useful information when it comes to figuring out how we live. And just the same, God has given us something that actually can speak and can make a difference to, to the way that we live, even though sometimes it seems like it doesn't quite fit. How do we make sense of all that? When we understand and talk about the authority of Scripture, we have to understand what that really means or what it really should mean and where it comes from. And the Scripture says a few things about authority. It says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Notice this. For there is no authority except that which God has established. John 19, verse 11. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What do all these verses tell us? Authority rests with God. Authority is God's authority. So when we talk about the authority of Scripture as a text, as a Christian, you can only talk about Scripture having authority in a delegated sense, in a mediated sense. That actually the authority that exists is the authority of God. That it isn't this book alone, as we talked about last week, that we're making the book divine, but actually we're saying here we have something through which God's authority comes into our lives. It's the authority of God. But you see, what we do is we try and make scripture into something that we think it should be. Well, this is not very useful, having this big story, uh, getting people to do what we want them to do. So instead, we'll change it into a list of rules that you should live by, or we'll change it into a list of doctrines that you have to believe to be part of this, or we'll change it into a box full of promises that are something to... Uh, hold on to or something that we can just dip in and dip out of when things get difficult. And what we're doing when we do that is we're actually setting ourselves up above God when it comes to authority. And we're saying, God, what you've given us in the scripture, we don't like. So we want to change it and we want to make it fit better because we can do a better job. But actually what we need to do is embrace the story aspect and find ourselves in this grand story. Not using the authority of scripture as some sort of heavy book to bash people with, to put people down. That the authority of scripture would be something that fall down on people who are not living in the way that we think they should be. But instead, it should be a way of us understanding that God is exercising his authority in the world. God's authority means that because of his love, he wants to make everything different. God doesn't want to chain us and bind us in all this mire of rules and religion and legalism. God wants to liberate us. 
And understanding what the authority of the Bible is like, not thinking about worldly authority and try and make the Scripture fit that, but say, well, what do we really have in the Scripture? And how does God bring his authority into our lives? The fact that God's voice has a right to speak into our lives. Well, he does it by winning us over with his sacrificial love. He does it with his extravagant generosity. He doesn't do it by... Just ending the story by telling us that we don't measure up, that we're never good enough, and we better start obeying the rules. God doesn't do that in Scripture. Shame on us for trying to make the Scripture do that for us. God wins us around. And if we really understand authority, it helps us realize that the Bible is not a tool of oppression. But the Bible is a means by which we can be liberated from oppression. In fact, the story of the church is that when people have tried to use the scripture to to back up their own way of keeping people down and holding people, people with the scripture in their hand have risen up and said no. Actually, the only authority is God's authority. So let's understand how that gets to us. Let's understand what the scripture really says. And, and over time, from these scriptures being written down and, and passed around among the early church, so people could not come in with false teaching to, to derail things. From the invention of the printing press and people illegally printing Bibles and distributing them. People who died and were persecuted for distributing this thing. And right up to today, the Bible is actually a tool of liberation. And God's authority comes into our lives through the reading of the scripture that he's given us. That scripture in 2 Timothy said that it's useful for us. That God wants us to be equipped. And that's how and that's why God's authority needs to come into our lives. And to be Christian is to accept the Bible as an authoritative voice in your life. But we have to understand what that looks like. I think a lot of people struggle with authority because they're unsure that the text is trustworthy. They've heard things or they've picked up on things and they're not sure whether they can trust the Scripture. But to be Christian means to recognize Scripture's voice as a truthful voice. You know, in our culture, truth has been eroded. Our society struggles to trust. There was a survey in 2012 in Britain that found out that less than 30% of people trust the government. I was surprised it was that high, really. But people struggle. Politicians are, are not trusted Uh, And there's been an erosion of trust between people, a suspicion even between neighbors and in communities. And and we look at people interacting with people and we think, what's going on there? Something's not right. We struggle to trust. But trust is central to relationship. Relationship is not possible beyond the most basic surface level of politeness without trust. And as Christians, 
relationship with God is the heart of our faith. Trust between us and God needs to be present. Why can we trust God? We can trust God because as he tells us, as we read in Romans chapter 8, God is for us. We, we serve and worship a God who is for us, who believes in us, who loves us, who wants the best for us. We can trust him because he's for us. And how can we trust that he's for us? Well, we can trust that he's for us because he showed in the most dramatic and ultimate way by sending his own son. Jesus shows us that God is for us. We can trust his voice, a truthful voice. If you do ask questions about the Bible, is the Bible true? We might ask, is it true that Jesus died on a cross? Now, if we were to ask that question, that would be an historical question. We, we would be asking, did it really happen? I mean, re- was there really a person called Jesus of Nazareth? Did he really die on a Roman cross? Did it really happen? But if we were to ask a question like, is the parable of the prodigal son true? We would be asking a different kind of question. Jesus tells a story that you might not be familiar with. We call it the prodigal son. It's about two sons and, and, and one leaves home and he asks for his inheritance now and he goes off and he spends it on partying and eventually realizes the error of his ways and he returns to the father who accepts him with loving arms. But the elder son who never left was, was unhappy that he was brought back into the fold in, in this way and celebrated when really he'd done the wrong thing. Now, if we were to ask a story like that, is the parable of the prodigal son true? We'd be asking a different question. We wouldn't be asking, did it really happen? I mean, was there really a guy somewhere in the ancient world with two sons and what... That's not the question we're asking because we understand that's not the kind of thing parables are. Parables are something different. We're not asking a historical question, but we're saying, is it true to life? Do we see those aspects of human folly, the way people act in that story? Well, yeah, that story rings true. Is it true in what it tells us about the Father heart of God who passionately loves us and always is ready to welcome us back and celebrate us and celebrate us being in relationship with him? Yeah, it's true. It's true in a different sense. And sometimes we get all messed up thinking about the scripture, treating the whole scripture in the same way. I'm going to talk about this next week, interpretation. But when we talk about the scripture being a truthful voice, historical questions don't apply to every single thing that we read. When we say it's true, we might be asking if it's true in a different sense. Is this true in what it tells us about who God is? Is this true in what it tells us about the human condition and our need for God? Is this true and consistent with this big story that God is telling of what he is doing in creation? I believe that despite the historical criticism that has emerged 
over recent times that the scripture is a truthful voice. People who write doctrine would talk about biblical inerrancy. We're going to give you a bit of vocabulary during this series. I'm going to post it last week. Last week we talked about the canon, the collection of 66 authorized books. Here's a bit more terminology. Biblical inerrancy. Inerrancy without error. Makes sense, right? Very, very simple concept. Without error. People talk about this idea that the scripture doesn't have error. And there are different Christian views on this. One view would be that the scripture in its original writing is completely without error in every respect. Historical, biographical, every respect. There's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. A second Christian view would be that it is without error in a spiritual sense. There may be historical or biographical errors, but what it tells us about God and how to know God is completely consistent. And a third view would be that the scripture does contain errors in different ways, but it's still a useful book when it comes to our Christian practice. What do I think? I'm not going to tell you, that's boring. But I do think we have to be careful with a literal reading of Scripture. Literal means according to the letter. Because when it becomes too literal, we get back into that stage we talked about last week where the Scripture becomes our God. The Scripture becomes the thing that is divine rather than the God we worship. Instead of understanding this is something God has given us, which yes, is authoritative, yes, is truthful, but it in a delegated sense. What we're really trying to get to is God. Scriptures, we said last week, is not an end. It is a means. So we've got to be careful with a literal reading of the Bible. Some writers have called it bibliolatry, making the Bible an idol. So we're actually worshipping the text instead of worshipping the God who gave us the text. We've got to be careful with that. We've got to understand a little bit more about interpretation to understand what we mean when we talk about a truthful voice. So we're going to talk about that last week, next week. But finally, I believe it's an authoritative voice, a truthful voice, but also an inspired voice. This was the text that we read at the beginning. All scripture is God-breathed. In some translations it says inspired or inspired by God. And this is quite a good translation we have on the screen because the, the word, the Greek word, is like a compound word created, two words squeezed together. Theopneustos. Theo, which means God, theos. And, and this idea of, of the spirit breathing out. God breathes. And the Christian claim that the Bible is the Word of God, it's inspired by God, is rooted in the Bible itself. It's not something that's just been bolted on later. I mean, consider this range of scriptures. Isaiah 40, this is in the Old Testament, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of God endures forever. 
Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, jot or tittle, will by any means disappear from the law. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about the prophetic message being completely reliable. Verse 20. Understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. One more, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. So just pause for a second. We talked about this last week. Paul is writing at a similar time to Peter. He's a contemporary. But Peter, watch the next verse, verse 16. He writes the same way in all his letters. Talking about Paul. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Very true. And it says, ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. A contemporary already understands early Christian writings being given the same place within the Christian community as the Hebrew Bible that they'd had with them for generations. So the claim of the Bible being the Word of God isn't something that Christian use because it's convenient for their own ends, but it's actually consistent with the character of Scripture. But we need a little bit more than that, don't we? Jesus' attitude to Scripture. Mark chapter 12. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures? Luke chapter 16. It's easier for heaven and earth, similar to the quote from Matthew, to disappear than the least stroke of pen. John chapter 10, he talks about this. The scripture cannot be broken. Jesus was shaped by the scriptures that he knew and had a real honor towards scripture. Look at the way the New Testament writers treated scripture. Why are we laboring this point this morning? Why? Because most people think the Bible doesn't have the authority to speak into their lives. So we will labor this point. Look at the way New Testament writers treated Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. For Scripture says, and then there are two quotes. What Scripture? Well, first of all, the first letter to Timothy quotes from Deuteronomy. That's part of the Torah. That's part of the first five books of the Bible. It's part of the Old Testament. It was authoritative to all Jews. But the second part of the verse, workers deserve their wages, is from Luke chapter 10. It's from an eyewitness account of Jesus. So this first letter to Timothy, just as Peter wrote, also considers contemporary writings in the same place as the Hebrew writings, as scripture to us as a community. I think one of the amazing things about scripture is that history is usually written by the winners. And most of the biographies we have of people, particularly uh, ancient history, are pretty skewed because they tend to write what they would like to write about them. But the Bible doesn't gloss over mistakes. I mean, Noah got drunk. Moses killed somebody. David committed adultery. Jonah 
was a coward or maybe a racist. But seldom does the Bible try to hide a character's weaknesses. We wouldn't do that. If we were trying to control people in religion, we wouldn't write the book this way. But God, knowing us and the human condition, is big enough to handle this kind of thing. And think about the consistency of the Bible, as we talked about last week. This, this collection of books, written over more than 1,600 years by more than 40 different writers, yet the themes of who God is remain consistent. The tenure and the story that, as they gather together, is astonishing to watch. The Bible is inspired by God. It's an inspired voice. But can you really know God through a book? I mean, God is infinite. God is big. God is huge. And our minds are finite. They're limited. Whereas he's unlimited. Can we really know God through a book? But the amazing thing about what scripture is, Boltman called it this, a meeting of God's self-revelation with our human capacity for understanding. A lot of people say, oh, we just, we can't answer these questions. It, 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 this God is infinite and our minds are finite and we, we, we'll never get to the end of that. But the reality is our minds, though finite, have the capacity for understanding. Every one of us as humans has a capacity to, for understanding that we can actually develop and learn and grow and expand upon. But everybody, what, whatever, e- even people who have different educational needs and people of different ages and, and different levels of attainment, we all have the capacity of understanding at some level. But what God does is, you see, we have a God who loves us, a God who wants to communicate with us. And we should never forget that. That because he loves us, he wants to communicate with us and he reveals himself. His communication, his self-revelation, his revealing of what he is like. And what we have is a meeting of what we can understand and God wanting to speak and communicating with us. And at this meeting point, we can get a picture that, yes, it might be a partial picture. Sometimes it might be blurred. Sometimes, you know, it takes a while to bring it into greater focus or to see more of it. But that does not mean that it is not true. That doesn't mean that we can't get a handle on something which is true and it's consistent and it actually makes a difference to us. And we can actually understand what God is like, even if now it's only like a reflection. But one day, as the scripture says, we'll see face to face. God speaks. And God speaks to us. And that means... That the reading of a book to know God isn't far-fetched, but it's actually consistent with a God who speaks. It's consistent with his nature. Maybe the band can just come back up and help me. You see, God speaks to bring us into relationship with him. So reading of a book actually makes sense. You know, it says in Romans chapter 12 this, that, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed and change in your thinking. So our goal as Christians to be holy, to be come like Jesus, to change, to be transformed. Reading a book is not actually inconsistent or incompatible with what God wants to do in our lives. But it's actually consistent that our life is reordered by God's wisdom. Because what he wants us to do is help us to think differently. So reading a book is actually completely consistent with Christian holiness, with relationship and with holiness. And it's also completely consistent with what we are called to do. You know, some of us are doers, aren't we? And some of us say, well, I, I don't really read much. I'm more of a doer. I'm more of a practical person. I, I, you know, you, you're sitting there reading your book for hours. I'm out there actually doing stuff and actually helping people. And, and that seems to make sense. But actually, the idea of reading a book to be energized for this task of mission is not a distraction. It's not, it's not but what it actually flows from is the fact that we are made in God's image. There's the imprint of God on our lives. And as we hear his word, and as we obey his call, we're able to live out that calling. We're able to be more effective because we're knowing him so we know what he values. We're being changed by him so we're more able to participate in what he's doing. And we're understanding what is going on. So actually, instead of it being a distraction, it actually allows us to be effective. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln. A lot of quotes are attributed to him, aren't they? Like, you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet. But he said this, If I was given five hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening the axe. And we, we shouldn't see reading the scripture as a distraction, but we should actually see it as helping us to become the people that we need to be. We should see it as part of getting to know this God so we know what he values as we go and act out his purposes in the world. And we should hear it as our rallying call. We should hear it as our briefing. We should receive it as our inspiration for everything we need to do. So actually, the distraction is the busyness of all the activity that we're involved in that could allow us to miss the thing that we really should be doing. That's the real distraction, not reading a book. But actually, this helps us to be who God has called us to be. You know, some people might consider it archaic to look to a collection of ancient texts as formula, as something that is formative for us in contemporary life. But actually, it's consistent. It's consistent with the nature of the one the Bible speaks about to accept the scripture as authoritative, truthful, and inspired, and therefore a trustworthy voice. A trustworthy voice 
in our lives. We talked last week about why should we engage with the scripture? Because the reality is most of us in this room don't. We don't. Why? Well, because it tells this big story that helps us to place ourselves, make sense of our story, and find out what we really should be involved in in life. But we should also engage with the Scripture because the Scripture's voice, although it is in a delegated sense, it is God's Word to us. It's God's voice to us, a voice that's authoritative, truthful, and inspired. And if God is speaking to us, that means we can know Him. We can be changed to become like Him. And we can be involved in what He's doing. So it's our responsibility to engage with this text. I hope it's beginning to stir a hunger within you to do that. Next week, we're going to talk about how we do that. But I just want to ask you a question this morning. Everybody in this place. Have you accepted God's authority in your life? I mean, can God be an authority to you? Or is God something that is just useful for you when you need Him? I mean, when you hear Him speak, are you ready to obey that voice? Or is it just another voice that you consider among many others? See, to be a Christian is to accept His authority. It's to be a follower of Jesus that is ready to obey the voice of God. And that although sometimes that jars with us and we wrestle with it and we struggle with it, we might struggle with what we read and and what we hear, but only when you struggle with what you read and what you hear will you know that you worship the true God and not a figment of your own imagination. Not a God that you have created yourself in your own image. You see, if God believes everything you believe, you worship yourself. But when you really struggle with some of the things that you believe, then maybe, just maybe, you're on the right journey. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you able to give up your own will and submit to the will of God? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about attending church. It's not about being born in England. It's not about having been christened. But it's about accepting his authority and giving your allegiance only to him. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.